Food Court, the movie podcast and Twitch stream where Sean and John and Brian watch shit, talk shit, and most importantly, eat shit. We are the law. Hello and welcome, special guest Brian Bates. How are you doing tonight, sir? Oh, I am so wonderful, Sean. Really? Thanks is life beautiful? Me. Oh, we're so delighted to have you on this show. I can't even describe it. How could life be even better? Any better? Wow, that's a. I'm I, I, struggling. I'll be completely honest. I was upset with Brian for oh. about eight days from the time really? he picked <laughs> from the time he picked this film until the time I watched it today. I was like, "Why? Why Breakfast Club? Why?" And, I, and not only did I learn, I had never seen Breakfast Club, which I thought oh. I had. Uh, but I quite, I had a good time. I, 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 oh. I, it was like much better than I thought it would be. And like kind of put me in a, uh, it put me in a, um, bittersweet mood for the rest of the day because it was like, I hate to say this. This is, I'm going to, okay, boomer myself pretty viciously, but they just don't make them like they used to boys. <laughs> <laughs> How so? Cause it was just kind of like this, like austere, serene character piece. You know, there was yes. no, it's, it was almost like a black box theater play. Like you didn't need any, any sets or anything. You could have, you could have done that anywhere. And it, and it was, you know, it was, I just don't, and that was a huge movie back then. Like a huge movie that meant a oh. lot to a lot of people. And it's kind yeah. of mind blowing to even imagine a movie like that being made now, unless it was like yeah. Greta Gerwig or something. Yeah. How, how old are you, John? I am 38. Okay. Oof. Yep. I'm 48, so this movie came out right when I was about to start high school. Right. So oh yes, it meant a lot to me. No, I, I bet I, I get it. I mean, it uh, means a lot to me now. But I don't, <laughs> I don't think that it is specifically an age thing because I have a niece who's only uh, 18 or 19 years old. However old people pretend to be adults now, because I think she's trying to be an adult. And this is oh, her no. favorite movie. So I think really, I think it is a, I think it is a resonant film. Uh, I, I don't know why I had decided that I didn't like it. Chad Ryden in the chat points out, how can you not love John Hughes movies, though? I had decided this was one of the bad ones. Like, I had decided that this and Pretty in Pink were the bad ones, and then, like, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and yeah. Ferris Bueller were the good ones. I guess just because I always have to be a cantankerous asshole. Mm. But, but this movie was... Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Like, pretty... Yeah. Uh, you know, I... It's interesting that your you say it was your niece that likes it. Yes, your favorite because uh, I actually I have a joke about how this generation Generation Z is so hard on us old Generation Xers as far as uh, evolving with culture and being woke. But I'm like, look what our big woke diversity movie was of my generation: The Breakfast Club. Yeah. Five straight white teenagers yeah. forced to spend a day together, and we thought it was groundbreaking. Yeah. And there's like a lot of like I mean, problematic stuff in this movie. You oh know? yes, <laughs> but if this movie was made today, I mean, think about how they'd be cast. Yeah, there would be there would be like a a girl with one eye. There would be uh, <laughs> a black guy. A they're probably you'd have to. Wasn't thinking that. There had to be a furry. 
Yes. You'd have there'd to have be a furry. Oh, you take it a little further than I was thinking. <laughs> kind of my job. I just thought there'd be like a transgender and a gay, but no, yeah. you took it a whole other step. There'd be a seven foot tall Native American man. Yeah. There'd be a chief, great. Chief, from, uh, chief from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest finally returns to break them out of the. Uh, so, no, I don't know Brian very well, and I. Definitely don't know Sean very well, but neither of you strike me as guys who got sent to detention very often. So no. was this a, was this a revelatory <laughs> to find out how the inner workings of detention? Um, yeah, I guess for I mean, I think I would probably definitely most identify with Anthony Michael Hall. Right. Oh yeah. Um, I wanted to be Emilio Estevez character, sure. but but. Uh, <laughs> But no, I, I was, you know, I was a little bit troublemaker just making jokes in class, but I never got sent Whoa. to detention. We called I was it, pretty uh, We called it in school suspension and then Yeah. I, I got I ended up I loved in school suspension so much. I remember getting sent there on purpose just so I could read my goosebumps books. Because it, like, <laughs> it was a place where you could be undisturbed and then eventually I was sent to boarding school and then we would have what was more similar to this movie campusment which was school all weekend which was hell on earth and it was in a place called study hall and it wasn't it was like far more rigorous than this so we couldn't get into the the shenanigans that judd nelson leads but uh hijinks but uh there were you know every once in a while there was some you know like uh some some pencil throwing and some you know barf bag uh hijinks but nothing is uh i mean we we saw full-on raves in this film Yes, there's dancing, rave ups, <laughs> blow ups, glow ups. There, there's smoke and reefer. They're doing a bunch of stuff at school that I think you would get caught doing. Chat is uh, lively already today. Uh, Josh from Tennessee says the entire cast today would be all women and Cardi B. Uh, to which Chad Ryden follows up with, "It'd be some K-pop band," which oh. sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, I would watch that. I think um, they're probably right about the all-female thing, just because that is the thing they're doing now. Like they have, they just sure. announced today that they're doing a remake of Dead Ringers, but as a TV show, except it's women. Mm-hmm. But Are she, is she seems... going to be a urinologist? I don't know what the hell she's going to. I mean, it seems weird since the entire thing is about how it's creepy that they're gynecologists and they're men. Like that's. Most of the basis of the movie being crazy. They should be prostate and, checkers. <laughs> maybe so. Yeah, they'll just reverse it where they're using metal instruments on people's butts. Uh, while we're talking about that, no, this is a totally different subject. Uh, one of the things that we really crush our guests with is uh, we, we force them to give the plot of the movie. Mr. Bates, would you tell us what happens in this feature film, The Breakfast Club? Okay, well, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, <laughs> plan on w- watch. No, um, okay, it's um, this is 1985. It's a Saturday. Uh, well, it was shot in 1985. I guess it was 1984. It was supposed to be set in. Shot. It's a Saturday, and it's five students showing up for tension. Is that what they called it? Right. Um, and they get there at 7 a.m. and the uh, assistant principal. Tells them that you can't sleep, you can't get out of your seat, you can't talk, and you have to sit there. And he makes them write an essay um, about who they think they are. And at first, they all 
hate each other because they're all so different. But then in time, they start to realize that they're not so different after all. And then they smoke some weed, and that's when they really realize that they're not so different. Yep. And in the in the, in the end, the princess prom queen hooks up with the the school bully or whatever, or, and then the jock hooks up with the weirdo girl, and then the smart kid writes the essay for all of them and <laughs> and says we're all a basket case and we're all. Whatever, a jock or whatever. That's right. Signed the Breakfast Club. <laughs> Signed the Breakfast Club. Yeah. The, la- the last scene is we're all just white people. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's okay. We're all just white. It's it's great. It's so life is so beautiful. Don't worry um, about it. <laughs> thank you for that wonderful retelling of the story. You did it concisely. We love it. Um, while we're talking about things. Would you, Brian, tell us about your beef lamb year of the picture? What is your favorite part of this movie, The Breakfast Club? Uh, I just enjoyed it as a as someone who in school didn't feel like I fit in and was struggling to uh, find my way. It, it made me realize that we're all insecure and that we all aren't so different after all. And and. I just really identified it with it as a teenager. You're talking about a specific scene? Anything you like, man. It could be an actor, a scene, a musical cue. I thought it was very funny when Judd Nelson's character was in the gym uh, playing basketball, and and I think uh, the principal like kicks kicks the basketball. Yeah. Right, and he like almost hits him, and he like jumps. I don't know, jumps in the air, and it almost hits him. I do I, like how, like, in this movie, all the emotions are so heightened and end of the world and yes. teenaged, you know? Like, everything is so desperate and every uh, like, every up and down is so visceral and high and low. And you see pretty much every character cry. And, that, yes. and that's, like, that brings to light, like, that is what being a teenager feels like. Uh, it really does oh, like... Yeah. You know, like it really does feel like the smallest of things can make you borderline suicidal. And then moments later, yes. you are so happy to be playing Super Mario Brothers 2. <laughs> but didn't, like, Ali Sheedy's character, she basically had a change to Molly Ringwald before she got accepted. Oh, yeah. There's yes, some issues. Absolutely. It's <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's pretty weird. It's pretty yeah. weird. Also, okay, as you are, but if you want to be accepted, change. Everyone basically runs off to get laid, except for the nerd who still had to write the goddamn paper. Yes, <laughs> he did. And also, there's like Judd. What is his character's name? John, John Bender. Bender. John Bender. Yeah. <laughs> John Bender. He is. Uh, and Molly Ringwald wrote wrote about this like last year, as the Me Too stuff was coming out, like. He in one scene he is under the desk between the legs of young Molly Ringwald huffing her like, snatch. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I was, I was looking this up because I, I don't was know kinda, what huffing her snatch means. Um, it's like huffing gas. It's not good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, but he, yeah. Right, go ahead, Sean. Go ahead. Oh, and um, it's uh, easily problematic. Mostly because when the movie was made, Judd was like 25 and she was 16. Hey. But uh, 
Well, I was horrified to learn that. I was hoping that I would look it up and everybody would be over 18. And then when I found out she was 16, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. John, come on, John. You have to know. But luckily, I also learned from the article, the the underwear was a different. They had an underwear stand in. So at least there's that to comfort us that there was an underwear stand in. At least they thought ahead to that. John, would you tell me your B-flame hero of this picture, please? Um, I guess my favorite thing about this movie was how the characters were allowed to do horrendous things. And maybe, maybe these things are, and certainly these things are more doubly horrendous now. Cause yes, Bender basically serially, uh, serially sexually harasses everyone in the cast, but yes, the characters are allowed to do like pretty terrible offensive things to each other, but it doesn't stop them from being like fully embodied human seeming characters like the principal does some pretty horrendous stuff where he intimidates a child scary shit yeah really scary but at the same time i still felt like yeah that's what a principal does sometimes on their worst day (sighs) that's what yeah even the janitors you know who's mostly this comic relief character ends up having like these kind of like soulful moments like yes he's profound does like really uh terrible and good things whereas now i feel like in in i think if this film was made now everyone's just an asshole or everyone's just a wholesome character there's not like a lot of room for uh shades of gray etc uh yeah i just like but that i had other things i liked about the picture from a filmmaking standpoint i liked that john hughes allowed himself to have like scenes that belonged in different genres of movies within this weird movie yeah when bender's crawling through the uh, the ceiling and it's like a little spy a spy flick for a moment in time yes and a music video in the middle of it it's just it's more of like a filmmaker doing what he wants to do as opposed to like i'm making this like teenage hijinks movie and i'm gonna stay in this sector the entire time and he's done that a lot like my favorite scene in ferris bueller's day off is the museum scene which is this bizarre oboe clarinet song <laughs> yes <laughs> jam up in the music video in the middle of it that totally works and is kind of like an eerie montage that doesn't feel like it belongs in the movie. But, I mean, John Hughes, I I, I guess he's a lot... I only remembered him making a few great films, but I thought this movie was really... uh, I mean, for it to resonate with me this much, um, this many years later, while still being supremely dated, that's that's pretty good storytelling, I feel. Yeah, it's very good. I mean, I I don't know if he's my most favorite, but I I thought... Especially Emilio Estevez did some really fucking good work in this. I mean, I think everyone, almost everyone is pretty good. Judd Nelson is a little annoying to me, but basically everybody is pretty awesome in this. But like when Emilio goes in for the big monologue, I was like, wow, I didn't expect for Emilio to be the one who really got to me. But I was like, oh, shit, Emilio's really kicking into high gear in this monologue. Is this when they're all sitting on the floor? Yes. Yeah. Is this before yeah. or after Repo Man? Oh, well, I think it's be- I think it's before. It okay. is because <laughs> he cause yeah, in sure. Repo Man. I was kind of like, shouldn't Emilio be Bender? <laughs> oh yes, but Emilio's well. Pretty- he was. Uh, I, re- I read on Wikipedia, Emilio wanted to play John Bender, uh-huh. and then they couldn't find anyone to play his part, so they switched. He switched characters. He's uh, good in pre-production. Then they wanted John Cusack to play Bender, but mm. they didn't feel like he was mean mean enough. Yeah, that's so a bad then they idea. cast Judd Nelson. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Judd Nelson is very vicious in this movie. Yeah, like, he's he perfect. Definitely... I mean, he's at times genuinely dislikable. Like, there's right. there's plenty of times when you're like, well, I hate this guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I really hate this guy because he's mean to everyone and, like, cruelly so. They're just they like, do a good oh, job lay of showing, off. Yeah, I think they do a good job of showing everyone's feet of clay and everyone has this, like, irredeemable aspect to them, which... That's life. Everyone has irredeemable qualities to themselves, and that's like what. Yeah, that's what makes. That's what makes it work. (laughs) Okay, let's all. The second thing we're gonna do after uh, beef beef lamb euro, we're gonna say what are our irredeemable qualities? What's the worst (laughs) thing? No, no. Um, I want to tell about my my favorite thing in this movie. I said snatching earlier. That's it. (laughs) That's true. That's probably the worst thing. Um, I have many favorite things that I will talk about. Probably later, but the most favorite thing, uh, there's a part, and this is, I think this is in the midst of this, the little powwow they're having sitting on the floor. They're all talking. They're really getting down to brass tacks, really telling uh, uh, people about who they are. And um, Ali Sheedy says about Emilio Estevez, he can't think for himself. And Emilio says, she's right. <laughs> That's one of my favorite, favorite mm-hmm. lines of the whole movie. Just... There's lots of like really good two-liners in this movie like that. I wrote down one more. Okay, the other one. This is another of my favorite two-liners. No, this isn't even a two-liner. This is like a one-and-a-half-liner. Uh, when Anthony Michael Hall is about to get out of the car, uh, his mom says, Mister, you better figure out a way to study. And then his little sister goes, Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I just love... There's like so many good little bits. And I guess I thought of this as a comedy movie, but I didn't think of it as like a zippy comedy but like there's some stuff in there that's like super duper zippy and i was like wow there's just like super solid tight little jokes in there i was like well i thought this was just gonna be like a fun kind of we're learning about people and it Mm -hmm. sort of is that but there's plenty of just jokes just straight up hey i wrote a joke and it's hilarious i would not call it a comedy except for in the vein of like this movie reminded me of like the good wes anderson movies like mm-hmm. Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums, where these there's all these like little snippets of dialogue. There's even like a scene similar to what you're talking about, Sean. Right when um, when uh, Bill Murray's character is with his twin sons, and mm. uh, they they say something to him about him uh, being like, "Why don't you pull your head out of your ass, Dad?" And he like reaches back to get him, and it's like this like <laughs> quick moment that is take like feels like real life. Yes, this movie has tons of those, and they are jokes and they are funny. But I wouldn't call this a comedy in any way. Like, this is like more, you know, I guess this is this is a genre that no longer exists. It's like a coming of age teen comedy, whatever, because mm-hmm. it's very, you know, just fraught with uh, this angst and all that stuff. But it totally works because yes. it, 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 it's able to have so many different like archetypal characters that each person can relate to. Like, and, I, and, I, and not everyone was, like, the nerd or the jock or the rebel or whatever. I didn't fit into any of these categories, but I could see, like, aspects of myself and people I knew. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember when, like, the, like when I, me not getting along with my parents really did feel like the end of the fucking world. <laughs> oh, yes. And it was cool I've... to watch a film that, like, put that into perspective and proper perspective, I think, too, because it is kind of ridiculous. Well, which character do you guys think you would most identify with? If you had to pick. Mm, I to- I was talking to John before the show, and I, I would say Anthony Michael Hall just because I was and am super nerdy. But as I said, there there's like no dumb nerd. 
Like there's, <laughs> yeah. there's like no representation for a person who's like not good at science or math, but also is a nerd. So you would have been there's never, Hall, but you would not have written the essay at the end. N- I could have written the essay just because I'm pretty good at English, but I couldn't have gone to phys- physics club or Latin club. I don't think I'm too dumb for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there has never been representation for that kind of nerd. Right. In, in, in any of culture, point. like all nerds are, are like super powerful physics power. Like they can create <laughs> flames out of stuff. Like they are all MacGyver somehow. Right. And I'm not that kind of nerd. Sadly. I wish I was. Wh- who are you, John? Um, I think I was like somewhere in between the three male characters, I guess. Oh, uh, really? I kind of I figured you'd be Molly Ringwald. <laughs> yeah, but Molly Ringwald is like I almost said that. Like it kind of felt that way. I did get along with lots of. I had I had friends amongst all the different groups, uh, but I did like like Brian said, and like Molly Ringwald's character feels. I still felt horribly out of place. <laughs> mm. I mean, I just don't. I think it's inescapable, you know. But yeah. uh, I, I mean. It, it, that's for me. It was like uh, like one of my favorite uh, books or comic books to read ever is Watchmen, because at different points in my life I have felt like different characters, I've, or I have identified most with different characters in that book. Like when you're a, when you're a teenager and you're like a sociopath, it's like oh I'm Rorschach, and then later in life, you're like, <laughs> oh god, that is the, a fucking uh, moral objectivist maniac. And in this one, like there have been different points in my life where I definitely thought I was different, uh, different. It's almost like a Greek chorus. The, these guys, these the, this cast of characters, because they're just yeah. different shades of the same uh, white person prism. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, honestly, I've probably felt most like the principal. <laughs> just the, the endless we, frustration, and then do almost doing really reprehensible things, but pulling back. Yes. In a second. <laughs> While we're talking about Paul Gleason, I think Paul Gleason is pretty fantastic in this. But like mm-hmm. the scene where he locks Judd in the closet and like gets really sinister is like throughout he's kind of jokey and like a jerk but kind of jokey and he flips the switch and gets super sinister and is scary like i was like oh no i i legitimately was like is he gonna kill judd in this room and then leave him (laughs) like it had a feeling like he had turned into a villain and judd would not survive the movie and that was cool and also very surprising because like for the most part, this is like a people are mean, people are cruel, but like not like, oh, I'm frightened of this person. And he gets real scary. Before we leave this topic, uh, I do want to point out that uh, Bream Stash from chat says that Sean was Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. And chat, wow. chat agrees. <laughs> and then I, I threw up on our stream here. Uh, I should just l- tell the world what the people decided because... Uh, I I was on a part of a story for the Nashville scene, and I was immediately cast as the uh, Anthony Michael Hall character, only about <sighs> seventeen pant sizes larger. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess there's your answer, Brian. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you I'm go. not booger. I'm not. D- why? I'm not gross. I feel like he's a Am dumb nerd, and I feel like oh, that's true. They might be inferring yeah. from your unmade bed that you're disgusting. So who knows? Who knows? I, I read on the internet that I'm not supposed to make my bed because not making the bed lets the bed cool and dry during the day. Fewer bacteria. Brian, <laughs> which nerd were you? Were you a nerd? Were you Ali Sheeta? I don't picture you being Ali Sheedy, but. No, I think I mentioned, I thought I already mentioned I was kind of Anthony Michael Hall. Oh, yeah. yes. 
Um, I also kind of identify with the janitor who. Yes. Yeah. You know. Uh, Absolutely. Wasn't there a scene with the janitor and the principal that was kind of powerful? Like, yes. like, come on, man. You were this way one time. Right. I just feel like, I feel like the principal, he just never imagined this was going to be his life. And he really hates life. Yes. And, and he's just got lots of issues and. And he's sure. taking it out on the kids. I'm yeah. $31,000 a year and I have a home. <laughs> yes. I've got a wife. Well, yeah, there's that part where they're talking. And I think, I mean, this is the one of the most obvious tropes in the trope of tropes. But, like, certainly Vernon, Richard Vernon, the principal, sees himself in Judd Nelson. Like, he is a bully. He right. clearly is like also a jerk. Like when you see him, the real him turn on in they're that about, little room, you're like about the same that, age. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, <laughs> they're about the same age. Uh, Paul Gleason was in Die Hard, though, and Judd Nelson was not in Die Hard. So Paul Gleason has that on him. Um, Brian. Yes. Uh, will Will you tell us your low oh, main wait, low wait man of the wait pic- a Oh, I want to interrupt you. Sorry, Sean. Before no, okay. We leave Principal Gleason. Okay. Is this even the best? Clearly, John Hughes knows how to write principles, but is this even the best principle in a John Hughes movie? Does this oh, compare? You to, does this compare to famed pederast Jeffrey Jones? No, no. Jeffrey Jones. Well, also Jeffrey Jones has a lot more stuff to do in Ferris Bueller. Right. Like he gets to get attacked by a dog. He gets to a ring Jennifer a doorbell. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, no, I don't think this is as good as uh, Jeffrey Jones in Ferris Bueller. I read, go ahead, Brian. Well, I was going to say, I read he shot these movies back to back to the point where oh. they were already doing pre-production on Ferris Bueller. When, and they shot some scenes in the school of Ferris Bueller. It's the same school that they shot oh. uh, Breakfast Club. The outside's different. It's two different high schools, exterior, but the in- okay. inside stuff was the same. Not the library, but some of the classroom stuff. What an amazing looking school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about how low budget a movie this was. Yeah. All shot at one place in a school. They built a library because they didn't have a library big enough. That oh. was built on a. Uh, but everything else was just used at the school. I think it's at, it was a budget of a million dollars. Oh, dang. God, I mean, I, you would think even the music budget would have gone over that, but maybe, I guess maybe this Simple Mind song wasn't a thing until this movie came out. Probably so. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. I did want to ask, I don't know who, which of you would know this, but this takes place in California, right? Well, I thought it was Chicago. Yeah, I think they oh, all is it Chicago? Chicago. They're all in Chicago, that's yeah. true. Why is there a Confederate flag in the library? White I mean, it, it 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 doesn't make sense in <laughs> California, but but it also doesn't make sense in Chicago. So, what what is it? Just like, hey, this is this is a historical flag. So it's not about slavery, it. Sean. It's, oh, okay. It's, it's about embracing our heritage. Heritage, heritage not, not hate, hate. Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. That's amazing. Um, while we're talking about bad things, we might as well talk about our low main low man of the picture. I'm going first because I got a good one. Um, and this is just coming from a nerd. This is from a nerd's perspective. So, Anthony Michael Hall smokes weed, which is right. fine. It's fine if he wants to do that. But, Anthony Michael Hall talks about how he was suicidal about an F, but he never has any regret or feelings of nervousness about the fact that he smoked weed. 
I feel like that nerd <laughs> who would get suicidal about an F in shop class would go, oh, I shouldn't have done this. Oh, I shouldn't have done this. I'm going to get in so much trouble. But he never says that. My nerd would go, Sean, oh, Sean's no. projecting. Someone's going to find out. Someone's going to find out, and I'm going to go to jail forever. I was more worried that uh, he breaks out into his weird Anthony Michael Hall blackface impression. Oh, he does do that. That he does in every hey, movie. <laughs> hey, man, I'm, I'm. this is a funny voice in this time, but maybe in 30 years it's going to be uncomfortable. This is worse than the uh, Asian character from, uh, is that... Pretty in Pink, or is that... I think so, Kings? yeah. yeah. Hung Dong, Dong, or whatever his name is? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, who knew? Who knew that racism was bad? We didn't know back then. We, we only learned in the last three <laughs> years that racism is bad. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty funny that, uh, yeah, the... the uh, the the jock was the last one to to get to get after the uh, the the grim reefer as it were <laughs> and it's so strange now my, i have limited experience with weed uh none actually but uh, i've i've met Don't many say. people everyone i've ever met has smoked it though so uh i do have this question did emilio smoke an entirely different strain of weed cuz <laughs> Everybody else was like chilling out, having a nice time on a couch, and Emilio gets yeah. freaked out. White man he's on like PCP. Running. White man on PCP. He's like <laughs> shaking and punching. I don't think he. I think he got laced. Right? Was that, he laced? That was basically Emilio's version of his father's first scene in Apocalypse Now. Yes. <laughs> he was like, "This is it. I'm going to get my Oscar, just like Dad." I don't think Dad got an Oscar, though. Did Dad get an Oscar? He didn't get an Oscar. Ah, uh, that's too bad. He's good in that movie. He is. Uh, Brian. Yes. Will uh, you tell me your low main low man of this picture? What's what's the worst dang part of this whole movie that you treasure so much? <laughs> um, probably the whole scene where they smoke smoke weed. <laughs> kind of just. When they break character, the whole Emilio Estevez thing, when he like, doesn't he like yell and glass breaks? Yes. Yes. Like screams or something. Yeah. It's just, that part seems a little silly to me, a little over the top mm -hmm. when they, they're all dancing together. And I read again, cause I did my research, fan of the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> at first it was supposed to be just Molly Ringwald dancing, but then she felt insecure. So they all started dancing to make her feel better. And then John Hughes said, let's just keep it everybody in the in the scene right but um i didn't really like that and then I, i'm gonna give you two i guess you have as many as you and want. then there's a there's a there's a scene earlier when i guess the principal's trying to figure out who's making a noise mm -hmm. and uh ali sheedy's character like doing some sound effects or something with her voice like some it's been a it's been a little while since I've seen this movie to be honest. But this is she like. <laughs> that's the type, she like do. That's the type of non hustle I can respect. You get asked to be on a film <laughs> podcast show and you're like, "What movie have I basically memorized?" <laughs> I've seen it so many times. Um, yeah. Um, but do you know what I'm talking about? Like, isn't yeah, there a yeah. scene where? She goes, she's like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's we a little, that that seems a little silly to me. We call yes. that uh, we call that Ed Nortoning in the biz. <laughs> a bit of Ed Norton. Oh, what does that mean? Uh, Ed Norton recently decided to give most of his characters uh, ticks or actual Tourette syndrome. 
Um, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just when you when you've run out of acting tricks and you just start barking like a dog. I did think, and we'll get to my uh, low main low man. I did think of our performers. Ali Sheedy was the least spectacular. Uh, I think everyone, because mm. they're mostly goddamn children, kind of has highs and lows because it's you mm-hmm. know very young actors, but it still works yeah. for me. But but Ali Sheedy, even as a but she's she just kind of like uh, in a in a in a in a group where everybody's vamping it up pretty hard. She's kind of relying on ticks and and talks more than anybody else. She was probably yeah. my least favorite. But like I said, I I, I really enjoyed. I had such low expectations going in that I really this movie uh, took me to a, a a good place. I thought like it was, it it made me nostalgic because I don't feel like movies like this are made very often anymore. At least not uh, in a way where they can reach uh, such a massive audience. Because this, oh, this yeah. movie, you know, means a lot to a lot of people, and it just uh, okay. Here's something that is absurd. Uh, that, okay. That I I didn't hate it, but it's kind of fun to look at. Just at the end, everyone making out on their parents' cars. Yes. <laughs> what is that? That would have been maybe that's just from uh, growing up in the South. That would have been mass hysteria if 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 uh, if, <laughs> if if, if uh, Grim Reaper or whatever his name is uh, t- getting his liquor license with Molly Molly Crabapple on the hood of her father's BMW. <laughs> that's not gonna happen. <laughs> He, you would expect him to be like, get in the car right now. Yeah, get in yeah. the car. <laughs> Motley. Oh, Claire. Claire! Do you think, uh, I always feel like Ellie Sheedy's character and Judd Nelson's character should have gotten along a little better. Yeah, I feel like they were the two true out, true outsiders. Right. Yes. Because Emil Estevez and, and Molly Reynolds, they kind of ran in the same circles a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I feel like John Bender, Judd Nelson, even really didn't like. In, in my high school, I saw all those characters some, but I feel like Ellie Sheedy's character and Judd Nelson's character in my school would have probably ran in similar circles. Sure. Yes. Well, Allie claims that she has no friends, so maybe right. she's just such a weirdo that she, well, she doesn't does even hang out. Scratch with her dandruff into her sugar sandwiches. Yes. I mean that is reprehensible behavior and truly grotesque. <laughs> yes, she chews her fingernails. She does all the gross things. Oh, uh, I just remember. Can I change my favorite scene? Sure. Yes, of course. I think it's very funny when they're talking about how they, why they're all there, and then she just finally admits she didn't do. She she just didn't have anything else to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. pretty funny, right? That's uh, <laughs> funny and sad. <laughs> yeah. Sad, That's the point of stuff John Hughes brings to the table. Uh, there are a couple of things I think are completely insane about this movie. I didn't think they were bad, but they're at least worth bringing up. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall uh, school shooter subplot? Yes. Yeah. That hits a little or, different after Columbine, don't it? Or suicide shooter subplot, <laughs> I, right? I don't know. I, I honestly, It's kind of hard to tell. It, because of where we are as a society, my brain gets so weird around guns in school that I had a hard time yes. interpreting what that meant in 1985. Uh, I yeah. think he was going to kill himself, but okay, okay. They, they they also say it's a flare gun, right? Isn't that the the punchline, yes. the eventual punchline that it's a flare gun? Right. But it even, his even if it's a flare, yes, if you have a flare gun and you shoot it into your temple, you're probably still going to die. I would guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking so. 
So he tries to kill himself, and, and they treat it by sending him to in-school suspension. Yeah, that's really not great. I need, I need help. No, you're going to Saturday school. You're going to ISS. Don't say a word. Chad, help us solve yes. this. Was Anthony Michael Hall going to shoot this school up with this flare gun, or was he just simply taking his own nerdy life? We'll check back. He'll let us know. Uh, furthermore, well, also, it's not well, a very prescient film because, uh, as we all know, uh, the billionaire nerd has won and not only gets the girl, but gets the surfboard and the uh, social media company. So, yes, uh, I don't know if uh, Bender's walking off into the sunset raising his fist, uh, but uh, that's no, it's kind of interesting that kind of the only person who still remains a loser and doesn't get the girl is the Anthony Michael Hall character. Yes. I think also there's something strange. Maybe this is just the braces of the day, but his braces are scary. Hmm. They His braces cover up all of his teeth, so it is just dark. So when he smiles, it, there is no whiteness. It is just like braces and greenness. It really made me uncomfortable to look at him smile, which is not great. I, I wish that he had, uh, I don't know. I guess those were probably his regular braces, but... Maybe they have improved the technology, but it freaked me out, and I did not like it. I think with all due respect, the braces of the time. I think I had some similar. Um, ugh, ugh. And doesn't he? He kisses the paper at the end, right? So that's yes. kind of like that's his like hooking up moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. gets a paper cut. Um, <laughs> is Anthony Michael Hall the best actor out of this group? Who somehow disappears somehow even more completely than Judd Nelson I, later in his career? Um, or does he just have the best I, role? He has, I think he's the funniest, in my opinion. Sure. He does some really good funny stuff. Right. I think it's tough because his his big acting part, like the his part right after Emilio's big monologue, is seems a little more silly to me. Sure. Like the fact that he is suicidal because of a shop class is hard for me to believe. So I kind of went, oh, man, I, I don't know. I believe I don't, I believe yeah. that's teenage emotions. <laughs> I guess that's true. I mean, I think that was just the one example he gave, but I think it was just building up from years of other things. I can see that. Yeah. I, I loved the through lines with all with the adults revealing their rather uh, immature emotions later on as well. And like the kind of showing the through line that as much as we'd like to believe that we mature and move past these the, this frailty, we're still just like raw nerves underneath. I thought that was yes, pretty fun. Absolutely. I, thinking of uh, one thing I, I noticed, I'm not sure I haven't read Wikipedia or anything. I'm pretty sure Anthony Michael Hall's dad at the end was John Hughes. So I think that <laughs> really, yeah, I think that was him, and I think that shows you that that character in particular must have resonated with him. He's not in the I credits bet. like that. Everybody, I, I rewound in the credits because I was like, that was John Hughes. But I rewound in the credits and they just credit everyone but that character, which to me almost is like, oh yeah, definitely John Hughes then. It must but, be. It must be him. But I thought it, I thought that was an interesting bit of business. Um, Brian, you, yeah. you said you were actually in high school or about to be in high school when this movie came out. Do you yeah. feel like this movie helped you navigate high school or was it like a blueprint of what not to do or did it have no effect at all? No, I, I mean, I don't think it had a major effect, but I think <laughs> it, it didn't I make it help. Like, I want to be a bender or I want to be a, an Emilio. <laughs> no, I mean, I was still very insecure and I mm-hmm. just, 
I was basically like I am now, except much younger, where I just want to fit in and I want <laughs> <laughs> I wanted everyone to like me, so I use humor to try to make that happen. Uh, but, uh, but I certainly, I had, again, my high school was pretty big. So we had all those characters in one way or another at my school. Sure. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't, I, I, if anything, it helped, it didn't hurt, right? but it helped. It's a good (laughs) reminder. (laughs) Uh, that, and maybe that, that doesn't make. High school seem great. Like, doesn't make high school yes. seem either like the worst or the best. It like properly uh, shows the scope of like the grandeur and the misery of it at the same time. I think is kind of yes. All yeah. you see all of the different things. I want to talk about a few things. These were not on my era or low main. These are just things I wrote down. Uh, one, the it opens with the Simple Mind song, which is great, and um, there. <laughs> There's a quote from David Bowie. I did not write it down because I didn't want to, but it's just about how the kids are special or something. Uh, And then that title screen with the quote explodes like broken glass towards the camera. Really strange. So weird. I I mean, it feels like something that would be in a Die Hard parody, like not in Die Hard because they're too smart to do that, but like... If it, if somebody was doing like a spy hard movie, it feels like the glass would break at you. Um, okay, other things. Pe- two different people give someone the middle finger in this movie, and they all do it strangely. Okay, they do the middle finger. If you're just listening, try to picture it. If you're watching us, I'll do it. They do the middle finger, but the other fingers are kind of up. They don't do a full squeeze with the other fingers. The other fingers oh. are just kind of hanging around. It's it's very and they do it the just same like way. An effortless middle finger, like an up yours. Yeah, it's like, and then if yeah. you're getting like very, if you're being very forceful with the middle finger, you kind of curve uh, some of your other fingers. Oh you know? yeah, kind of get like witch claw on it. Uh, I just I think it's just how much <laughs> how much you're putting into that gesture. You know, you may be right. These were. Um, I'm sorry, Sean. No, I want you to go, Brian. Please. Well, I I'm sorry to jump in. I I looked up. John Hughes did play. Anthony Michael Hall's father. Nice. And his real mom played his mother. Oh, wow. That's and wonderful. His real sister played his sister. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Get that family dynamic. Get the. Get I the feel family. sorry for his dad now. <laughs> <laughs> John, he's like, no, sorry. I'm doing that. That's me. I, okay. I'm your dad now. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he committed suicide or tried. Yes. John Hughes was his dad. Yeah. He had uh, to live up to that. From the chat, oh. Tex Offender wants our thoughts on that final freeze frame where Bender raises his hand into the air. What did you guys did that work for oh. you? Did that work for you, Brian? It did at the time because I thought it was cool and uh, <laughs> Yep. And, you know, like I could see myself walking across my high, high school football field after I just kissed a girl, which I never did, but uh uh Yeah, I thought it I thought it was kind of cool at the time. Now it seems kind of cheesy, but growing up, I liked it. Hey, Brian, sure. you may not have kissed the girl, but I bet you also didn't threaten to impregnate her in a gang rape scenario, nor stick your face into her panty region. So I think you still. Well, actually, out. actually, actually, I did, John. So <laughs> I wish you had brought that up. <laughs> I, had a, I had a move. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I think I think the uh, statute of limitations has saved you there, or at least uh, I hope so in all our cases. Sean, did that I work for so. you? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's silly, but also there are, I think there are enough ridiculous things that happen in this movie that I was prepared for. Like, Brian mentioned the Emilio yells so loud that the glass breaks. Right. Like, once you see something like that, you're like, well, anything can happen in this movie. Yeah. It's mostly realism, but also there are touches of magical realism or some yeah. other weirdness. I feel like he like, always says like that South American magical realism creep in every once in a while. Yeah. <clears throat> like, I but, like that. Yeah. I kind of I kind of like it too. I like it that it's always just a little kiss of the hops. Um I think yes. that the raised fist and the freeze frame, I think it's I think freeze frame has been proven out to be that's just a technique that works. I think it's back it's good. in filmmaking. It just works. It's really good. I mean, yes. Michael I was rewatching using it. <laughs> I was rewatching Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Uh, a classic of cinema. And <laughs> in the and in the uh raindrops keep falling on my head, they do like right at the end of raindrops, he does this freeze frame and smile thing. Yeah. And it kills me. And I think like a really good freeze frame is perfect. I think, I think the only th- Oh, go ahead. Nothing. Never. Oh, I think the only thing that kind of uh, we we talked about this. Did we already talk about this? I have no idea. Um, the only thing that maybe uh, takes away from the freeze frame is the sign to the Breakfast Club. Like when he says <laughs> yeah, the yeah. title at the end of the movie is <clears throat> weird. You is that the first this? time we hear that? Yes, yes, it is. And what does yeah. that really ma- even mean? <sighs> they don't eat breakfast. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> Did they ever eat breakfast? I don't uh, know before they got means. there. Anytime, so. anytime you get eponymous in the last frame of your picture, it's sort of yeah. a failure. It reminds me of, do you remember uh, Annihilation? Oh, <laughs> yeah. When first podcast, they bust out the title of the movie in a long speech right at the end, but it doesn't really it's work. Rough. But, but I feel like it's a forgivable sin. What else were you going to call this picture? I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, the detention. Campusment. Yes, campusment. Okay, a few other things I need to talk about. Okay, one, this is another one of those things like the Emilio breaking glass that has has no place in reality. But uh, when Judd is like running through the halls and he's somehow gotten to the gym, he's he's in there playing basketball in the gym. And for some reason, he has a single basketball shoe on in this scene. I don't know where he got this basketball shoe. Ooh. But he just ha- is wearing a single white basketball shoe, and he's playing. Other than that, he's not wearing any athletic wear. Right. But as he leaves, as he's leaving the room, he just kicks off the basketball shoe and is out of our lives. It's never mentioned once. No one even points at it. You just have to look at it to see it, and it's like I just like that. I like that. At some point, they're like, "Why? Why wouldn't he just have a single athletic shoe? Why Judd wouldn't Nelson. he take off his one?" Yeah, sure. Judd, Judd Nelson, Nelson using the like, Stravinsky method there. <laughs> <laughs> method acting baby okay what Judd else Nel- wrote- Nelson kind of wears it kind of grows on me like at first like and I think it's kind of interesting that you brought up Sean he there are moments where he's really unpleasant but it it totally works like yes. it kind of it kind of like it's kind of better that he sucks sometimes rather than just sure. being charming the entire time because you, you yeah. it'd be hard to buy you know, John Cusack as, you know, Lloyd Dobler being, you know, menacing and and so no. and so like squeamishly awful and a, just a brazen liar and an asshole. Like he probably would have brought too much charm to the role. So this this definitely worked for me as a performance. Like, yeah, like I, said, I was a little hard on Ali Sheedy, but 
That's fine. I mean, what, uh, who is it from uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Uh, who? Uh, oh, who was? She was in a couple. T- she was in a Tarantino movie recently. Single white family really? lady. What was her name? No, oh, what the hell? Oh, Bridget Fonda. Yes. No. <laughs> Bridget Fonda wasn't Jackie Brown, but it's the other one. God damn it. Well, I can't remember. I can't but she her name. I think most people would have done the Ally Sheedy performance and just made her as quirky as possible. You know, so it's hard It's hard not to fall in. I mean, after all, these are stereotypes, so why not sure. play, it to it, play, play it to the hilt? But Jennifer play Jason Lewis. Weird. Thank you, Tex Offender in chat. Jennifer oh, Jason Jennifer Lewis, Jason Lee? Yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee, Lee. That's it. Yeah, man, all over the place today. But oh yeah, I could totally see her playing that character. Yeah. Oh yeah. She does play that character in half her movies. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I do think that Bates is right that that is the worst part of the movie that she has to like get dressed up to get the to get the jock. Like that's kind of yes. antithetical. I feel like it goes against everything that they've been trying to tell you for right. the whole yes. movie. Absolutely. Yeah. You're yeah. okay as you are. Wait a second. Yeah. Why don't you get dressed up so you can get the guy? It's very yeah, kind of dressed mi- like a girl. Yeah. yeah. Here's a bow, a literal bow in your hair. It's very like miserable Judd Apatow, Middle America bullshit, where it's like, yeah, you do need to get a job, you fucking loser. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's well, like also, the, that's the thesis of every Apatow film is you do need to get a regular job, loser. <laughs> <laughs> I felt the same way rewatching Ferris Bueller. Mm-hmm. I've. As a kid, Ferris Bueller was one of my very favorite movies. Right. But like watching it as an adult is weird because it's like, oh, did you know that if you're a rich white kid, you can do literally anything? Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, th- I don't know if it is great. Is that great? I, I mean, That's I how guess you take that? Yes. I, just, I took it as if you're just really smart white kid. Or not. you don't have to be white. Just sure. Yeah. Poor kid, you can outsmart the dumb adults. Because Sean, I can see you that. have the even wider, even richer kid, Cameron, who's suicidal. Yeah. You're yeah. right. You're right. Okay, I take it back. Okay, one one oh. last thing that I need to talk about before we talk about anything else. This is another one of the the quick two line jokes that I loved. Okay. Um. Uh. Emilio, wait, someone, I think it's a when after they've gotten high and they're all friends, Emilio and Ali Sheedy and Anthony Michael Hall are sitting around looking through each other's stuff, which yep. I would never let any, I mean, I guess I would have to get out high, really high and maybe I would let people look through my stuff, <laughs> but otherwise I would never let anyone look through my stuff, but they're looking through Anthony Michael Hall's wallet and, um, and Emilio says, what do you need a fake ID for? And he says, so I can vote just a really... <laughs> Amazing oh, joke. Makes yeah, like a great. perfect. Making that good trouble. <laughs> yes. It's like a perfect, like it's perfect in so many ways, but it's perfect as like a character moment. Cause mm-hmm. you'd go, yeah, I bet he, I bet he does want to vote. He, he wants to vote early. He seems like he would want to, he's 16, but he can't vote yet. So he got a fake ID just so he can go to the polls and support Ronald Reagan or something. I don't know who he would support. That is a quality gag. Well, 80, 84 was an election year. So that even made more sense. Oh yeah. Dukakis baby all the way. <laughs> yeah. We, everybody loves Dukakis. He's one of the greats. We have some um, thoughts from the chat that I'd like to point out. When did, Tex Offender comes in with, when did John Hughes lose the ability to write? And he brings up some movies that I did not know John Hughes wrote, and I am embarrassed to know that John Hughes wrote Drillbit Taylor, Made in Manhattan, oh. and Baby's oh. Day Out. Oh. 
Because he had oh, a screen no. there where, I mean, I don't have the IMDb in front of me, but I mean, we're talking planes, trains, and automobiles. We're talking Ferris Bueller's. We're talking this movie. Uh, we're talking a- Pretty in Pink is pretty legendary in a lot of circles. Uh, 16 Candles. Was this was that the five? Was that like, did he have like five innings of, of perfect baseball and then it just kind of fell apart with, I'm going to say, Drillbit Taylor? <laughs> um. Well, but besides playing trades and automobiles, I was going to say he's just really good at high school drama. Right. <laughs> but beyond yes. that, maybe he struggled. But playing okay. trades and automobiles is one of my favorites. Oh, I think it's amazing. That's the zenith. But I think a lot of it has to do with the performances in planes, in planes, trains, and automobiles. Like, I don't know. Oh. If, I don't know if that movie is even as good as this movie without John Candy and Steve Martin being so pitch perfect in it. And then like Candy's mm-hmm. unbelievable. For, to me, movie. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The reason that is like, I think, and this may sound ridiculous, I think Alan Ruck as Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off is one of the great film performances. Like he's that great. Is just, that is just an incredible performance, and I haven't seen anything like that from him or anybody since. It just makes the whole movie. And I don't know if this movie has that kind of performance in it. it has like a pretty strong ensemble, but there's mm-hmm. no like iconic performance to me. I can see that. Uh, these anybody... are which which one of go ahead brian oh sorry which one of these characters went on to have the best career well not characters but actors i guess Ooh. Emilio estevez has to be Emilio, but none of them but yeah. everyone kind of bears yeah. the mark of the beast here yeah yeah these are some films that came after planes trains and automobiles that are quite good uh national lampoon's christmas vacation it's pretty great that's that's uh, Colum- uh, that's john hughes apparently Wow. That's what it says. It says written by and Home Alone. Home Alone is. Yeah, I, I knew solid. he wrote Home Alone, but the, but I was talking about the movies he did, like directs. But yeah, I see. What oh, you okay. He just kind of yeah. How I need to direct? get back That's, to this. Uh, he only directed eight movies, so I guess Real Bit Taylor was a a writing credit. Yeah, not writing a, only. his Chicago oh, Land octology. <laughs> Drill Bit Taylor is a story credit, so he's not. That's not entirely his fault. So. Uh, did Emilio peak with Young Guns too? Is that is that, where, is that the last? I think he ride? did. <laughs> um, I mean, I would have to look it up, but probably I Judd, can't think of anything I mean, he's in. Judd Nelson shows up in New Jack even, City. That's pretty badass. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and then he did. Uh, oh gosh, I'm Saint Elmo's Fire. Not long after that, and he and Ali Sheedy were a couple. I think St. Elmo's Fire is what I would sometimes confuse this film with, and I think it has to do with the prominence of the theme songs. Oh, yes. Because I thought this was just going to be... Brad Pack. Yeah, not what it once was. I recently learned that Larry Fishburne was friends with all the Brat Pack guys, and I can't can't figure that out in my mind. Oh, yes. Yes, there's that... If you haven't read it, there's a great Vulture article interview with Lawrence Fishburne, and... It is really weird to hear him talking about knowing Emilio Estevez because I cannot Michael picture Hall. them being in the same. <laughs> how could they be in the same room to get like, I can't even picture them knowing each other just because Larry. Not, I mean, with all due respect to Emilio, Lawrence seems like he is in such another world than Emilio. One of the greatest like, actors who ever lived. <laughs> yes. Amazing. And like Emilio is good. Uh, OK, one thing that is good after uh, after Young Guns 2 Mission Impossible, but that's the last thing. He's only in it for like thirty seconds. But yeah, I was about to say he was in the first Mission Impossible, but even then, it was almost like, oh yeah, there's Emilio Estevez. I hadn't seen him in anything in a long time. I didn't know he was in Mission Impossible. 
Yeah, he gets so he very gets stabbed, early. He gets stabbed with the. He's like the computer guy at the very beginning who gets stabbed with a with an elevator. Somehow there's elevator spikes. Are you sure that wasn't Ramon head. Estevez? You sure that wasn't Martin Sheen? <laughs> well, he's uncredited according to this, which I don't know why he would be uncredited when he's clearly Emilio Estevez. Hollywood's right? weird, man. Did you know? Uh, I re- I've read a bunch of Stanley Kubrick books because I'm a buffoon. And uh, yes. Stanley Kubrick really wanted to get Anthony Michael Hall to play what? Like, multiple characters, like including Matthew Modine's character in Full Metal. What? Yeah. So like that trajectory could have been totally different. He ends up on like the goddamn Dead Zone TV show, but that could have been way different. Last thing I saw Anthony Michael Hall in was playing like a news reporter in Batman: The Dark Knight. <laughs> oh no, poor Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, he yeah. looks so weird now. I mean, yeah. I guess every child actor ends up looking weird as hell, but it's relative because you just don't you're not ready for their for them to change that much. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you saw me as a child and you saw me now, you'd be like, oh, man, that's too bad. But I guess that's what happens with every child. If you see an adult and then you see a child, you're like, oh, man, he got so old and weird and his head's so much bigger than it used to be. And he's got no hair. He's disgusting. <laughs> um, that's that's the way I feel about myself. I don't know if you guys think that you were disgusting too. Absolutely. That's why oh, I good. Deleted, Thank God. That's why I deleted those uh, th- those younger pictures of me that were on the Twitch stream for a minute. There, it became oh. t- it became too much to bear. Well, Brian, we've about run out of time, but before we go, we'd like to know wh- we'd like for you to let the people know where they can find you online. I know you are uh, doing a podcast now that I don't know anything about, but I'd like for you to tell them about. <laughs> Oh, that is a great endorsement. Uh, Thank you, John. I've never even heard of it. I don't even know it exists. (laughs) I didn't even know it existed until Sean told me right before we started. Uh, Well, I am on a podcast. It's called Nate Land. And as you might imagine, Nate Bargatze is on it. Oh, and uh, The world's only Vanderbilt football fan. (laughs) and the the world's hairiest notre dame fan i love it yeah yeah. so me aaron and nate and uh it's uh it's out every wednesday so it came out today and i'm on uh, twitter brian bates comic uh i think instagram brian bates comic that's it and i'll go ahead and tell you do not ever get in any sort of flame war or Twitter beef with Brian Bates comic because you will be eviscerated <laughs> in the, the, the smallest number of syllables I have ever seen uh, <laughs> to, to the point that I live in constant fear and almost never interact with Bates on Twitter. Uh, Sean, tell them where they can find <laughs> us online. Uh, you can find Food Court Movie Podcast on Twitter at Food Court Cast. You can find us at um, Food Court Movie Podcast on Instagram and on you know, Facebook, you just search for Food Court Movie Podcast. Uh, while you're, you might be listening to us on iTunes or a similar service right now. And since you're there, would you get on your phone or your computer and type up a nice review for us and give us five stars? Because we love that. I mean, we like four stars, but we love five stars and we hate three stars. Anything below four, we, it makes us rageful we get real pissed off and we want and those are all the places and we want to send a special thank you to all our hashtag kill donkeys 
in the Twitch yes. chat right now at twitch.tv slash fast break, excuse me, flash food court movie <laughs> podcast. Uh-oh. <laughs> but uh, it's been great having you on, Brian. I hope you'll come back on sometime. Uh, for Sean and Brian, we'd like to say, bon appetit, kill donkeys. Bye.